Last week it was the news in Dallas about Baton Rouge and St. Paul. This week, Turkey, Nice, France, and a thousand other places. Last week I said how grateful I am to be gathered together with you in common faith where we share a word that is ineffable yet also infinite, a word that transcends all of the vicissitudes of history, the moments, the events that happen, a word that is the ground of our being as well as the infinite level of our imagination. This word, we say, stands forever. It stands forever against the backdrop of the news. Our good news stands against the news. They are starting to call it the new normal. Unfortunately, it is neither. It is only dysfunctionally old normal. In the history of humanity since the story of Cain and Abel, the dark side of human and humanity to create suffering and violence has been historic. It is all too normal. What is new, of course, is that We have instant global connection. We know 24-7 immediately when something happens in the world, which means that our anxiety levels continue to rise in a world that continues, apparently, to spin out of control. Keep it in context. Seventy years ago, our world was out of control. Now, we have events. These events tend to risk of us simplifying too much of them, trying to make sense of the immediate sense of violence or form or reason. Everybody weighs in which is why it is especially good for us to be here. If at least once a week for an hour, we can focus on Jesus. Be reminded that there is a word that transcends all of this. The good news that reminds us that the grass does wither and the flower does fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. I'm grateful for that. So this morning's word comes to us from the gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 38 through 43. Five scant verses. Now, now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, 
do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Last week, as well, it was the Good Samaritan story. Jesus tells a self-righteous lawyer who is trying to justify himself the story about this hated Samaritan who ends up being the neighbor for a person who was thrown in the ditch, while the good, religious, righteous people kept on going. This week, it's the stereotypical Mary and Martha story. It is cliched. By now, we all know how it goes. Jesus is saying to us that we need to be more contemplative and meditative than active. This is a story for the introvert, not the extrovert. But which is it? Jesus tells the lawyer in the Good Samaritan story to go and do likewise, that is to care for your neighbor. And in this story, he tells Martha, you are distracted by many things. There is need for only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part. Criticize Martha too much, and she may just go on strike. Then, if you're married, most men will be eating cereal for dinner. If we parade Mary around too much as the standard, she may never get off her duff and do anything. The Bible says for everything there is a season The writer of Ecclesiastes said it. There is a time to go and a time to stop and listen. There is a time to do and a time not to. Knowing which one and when is what it means to be emotionally and spiritually mature. Should we be like Mary or Martha? It depends on the context. You don't keep meditating in prayer if you smell the toast burning in the oven. You don't push the send button on the email that you were sending to your boss immediately after you have written the scathing letter in response. Hopefully you just sit on it for a while. Which one? When you're on the Supreme Court, you don't wax inelegantly about a politician you dislike. And when you are a former president, you don't dance in glee, if you can call it dancing, and an interfaith service in Dallas for five fallen police when they are singing in a somber mood the battle hymn of the Republic. For everything, there is a season. Time to rattle the pots and the pans and a time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Context is everything. 
What Jesus chides Martha for is not her activity so much as it is her anxiety. Martha is fussing around in the kitchen because she is distracted by many things. A word in Greek that literally means pulling her hair out, pulled in a thousand directions, being pulled apart. She is ruminating about whether or not she can pull off the party. She is worried about not having enough food. She is anxious about what Jesus is going to think if it doesn't come out all right. She is fretting about what the neighbors are saying now that they probably noticed this single man walking into her house, a single woman with her single sister. She's really upset about the fact that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, which is unheard of in those days, as women did not sit at the feet of a rabbi. God forbid this is her idea. She welcomed him into her home. Now she is responsible and standing in the kitchen, wringing her hands, bunching up her apron while her sister is out there. You can just see her getting roiled up into a snit fit. Like most of us, when you are in the midst of something you cannot control, you try to control it even more. You do something. You blame someone. You blame Mary. She, Martha, needed a scapegoat. Anxiety is always like this. Anxiety leads us to overfunctioning, and overfunctioning leads us to resentment that no one else is functioning, which leads immediately to finding a scapegoat for what the problem is. She even tries to scapegoat Jesus. Did you catch it? Lord, you don't even care. The word is, you're not anxious or worried that I'm in there working my fingers to the bone while my sister is out here sitting at your feet doing nothing, as if sitting at the feet of Jesus is doing nothing. It's her anxiety that does her in, and Jesus pegs it as he always pegs it. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Literally, the Greek word is thorubatso. It means coming apart, emotionally distressed, deeply troubled. It's the only occurrence of this word in the whole New Testament. It is related to the word for riot and to the noise a group of rioters make. Isn't this the case for those who feel put out, overused, unappreciated, and resentful for all the work they do, there's always a lot of noise that comes back. Drama, we say now. Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need, he says, of only one thing. What is that? Peace. Peace. 
the antidote to anxiety, rest, shalom, still waters. Without that, she and we are only adding to the insanity. Thomas Merton wrote 50 years ago, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is itself to succumb to the violence of our times. And follow that up with what the Dalai Lama said, living as we do, plagued by unremitting anxiety, it becomes more and more imperative that the life of the spirit be avowed as the only firm basis upon which to establish happiness and peace. And so here we have a Buddhist telling the world and Christians what Jesus has been saying all along. It is only found in the life of the Spirit. The one thing is peace that is found, we confess, at the feet of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Did you notice the pronouns in the story from Martha? Martha's house. It was her house. It was Martha's welcome. It was Martha's hospitality. It was Martha's reputation. It was Martha's anxiety. It was Martha's work. Martha, Martha, Martha. It was about her. Her anxiety is directly related to her own self-absorption. And Jesus says, turn it around. Choose what Mary chose. And that is that it is not about you. It is about God. It is about the Spirit of God. It is about me, the reflection, the Word made flesh of God. The life of the Spirit the only firm basis upon which to establish happiness and peace. We hear this as if individually this is good news, and it is. But I also want us to hear this, how, of how good news, how much good this news is for us corporately as the church, or even for our nation We are anxious and worried about many things. In the church, the numbers aren't looking good. Millennials are not coming to church anymore while our older members are dying off. Actually, compared to the average, Riverside is doing pretty well. But we still see the handwriting on the wall, and we spend inordinate amounts of time hand-wringing about what we're going to do next. Trying to figure out how we can change things and turn it around. The dean of Duke Divinity School wrote recently, we are in the middle of rapid, unprecedented culture shifts 
that are driven by changes in communication and information technology, economics, political upheaval, turmoil, and perceived escalating violence. In this context, many people in the inherited church life are in a state of grief because of the increasing failure of their programs, activities, and worship gatherings to make a difference. Because of the anxiety of failure in the system, it is increasingly difficult for declining churches to imagine a lively future that looks different from a lively past. The thought of taking risks, of concerning itself more with its neighbors than itself, is terrifying to the stuck, backward-looking church. This is the church that must now get over itself. Hmm. Does this sound like Martha? She needs to get over her big, bad self. Until then, we will continue to rattle the pots and pans of political and social and economic and worship changes, trying to come up with new recipes that will be palatable using the same old ingredients. We will wring our hands and shake our legs and work harder than ever, which may only cause more anxiety because we still believe it is all about us. Me. I'm always preaching to me, by the way. Now is the time for us to get over ourselves because it is not about us. It is about God, God's time, not ours, God's way, not ours, God's will, not ours. This is the season we are in. On Wednesday, driving to see someone, I picked up the radio broadcasting the event, the Dallas event upon which the last two presidents spoke. As I listened to President Obama on the podium, I found myself weeping. I was weeping in grief for all that has been lost that week and all the previous weeks, but I was also weeping with hope weeping with hope especially when his carefully crafted speech, a speech only a person of faith could give by turning to the Bible and pointing to God and saying, this is from Ezekiel. He said there that we know where to turn. And he quoted the prophet, I am bringing a new spirit and a new heart among you. He ended with, what we need is a new heart. And so we turned to God. Then they sang the battle hymn of the Republic. Confession. In this sense, I am becoming more evangelical. Yes, it's the Protestant E-word. 
I am not talking about evangelical in the sense of James Dobson or Pat Robertson in the political right sense of the word, but in the sense that now is the season and the time for us to turn away from our big bad selves and turn back to the lordship of Jesus Christ. To sit at his feet for 15 seconds or 15 minutes or one hour a week, no. Every single possible moment to sit at his feet. That's what I'm calling for. So that he may teach us and that we may reflect on what it means to follow him. Who always, always stood by the side of love and not hate. Peace and not violence. Forgiveness and not revenge, who always included those that people said were not acceptable. And to those who thought they were acceptable, he always told them in the sight of God otherwise, but by the grace of God's love. And to all of us who are wringing our hands, there's not more violence in the world now. There's less. It just seems like more. And to all of us who think that we are going down the tubes, let us get over ourselves. And remember the words of Jesus when he spoke to a church and to people who were facing a lot more hardship and violence than we are facing now. And when he said, come unto me, me the reflection of God, the word of God in human form, come unto me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you peace. It's the one thing that is missing.